from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex episode of the day. On today's episode of the RiderFlex podcast, we visit with co-founders Chris White and Jens Nicolason from Shinesty. They create and sell the world's most outrageous apparel for everyone willing to take life a little less seriously. Anyway, when my partner Scott called me, he's like, "Hey, man, check out this check out this company. Like, these guys are going to be on the podcast." I'm like, "I'm like, oh shit, this should be fun." <laughs> Jens, where are you yep. at? This isn't my proudest moment, but I, I'm coming to you live from my mom's basement at the moment. Actually. <laughs> um, I don't normally spend time in my mom's basement, but uh, we are down in De- my wife and I are down in Denver today because we had something we had to do and. Uh, my mom was watching my kid and we, we bounced back here. So my, my view is not quite as good. It's this rock retaining wall. <laughs> not quite the glorious vista that Chris has, but. Uh, yeah. I, I was halfway expecting you gents to come on the show with like one of those fake giant hair things or a costume or something. I was, I was thinking he might come on all dressed up. I didn't know for sure. <laughs> I feel like I'll probably let you down here. No. <laughs> <laughs> It was fun doing my homework on you guys to prepare for the show. I was showing my wife and she's like, what the hell? What, what, what? <laughs> what did you, what did you find? Um, you know, not just the outfits and the apparel, but the vibe and the energy and the messaging and all of that is super fun and cool, right? It's, it's a, it's a hip, fun, kind of exciting brand is is what i read um is what i that's the feeling i got like oh not only are these the, the clothing and the outfits and the stuff they sell those are cool but also it's just cool to like follow this brand and like oh they have a tv show and mtv too wow cool <laughs> <laughs> tell me t- tell me a little bit so let's just get into it were you guys friends in college did you meet over at cu uh, or t- how'd you guys meet we, yeah, we met after CU. Actually, one of our we have like a friend who's a friend in common who worked with me at SendGrid, which okay. is like a tech uh, company that's uh, came out of Boulder. It's IPO'd recently, um, but a cool success story out of Boulder. I was interning there during school, as was one of Jen's friends. Okay. So she worked with me, and she kind of put us together and introduced us actually for the first time. We got like, like a- it was kind of like a business blind date, like. Okay. She like supervised the whole thing. Like we met at Tiaco in Boulder and we decided we didn't, we didn't hate each other and we'd start something. The idea was not fully fleshed out, but the concept that was, Hey, we spend a lot of our disposable income on going to these events. So music festivals and sporting events and um, you know, all the things that we were traveling to and um going to parties with our friends, why is there not a location or a brand that provides an easy place to find products for these social moments in life? Okay, so you kind of had that idea. And Jens, what did you think when he starts pitching you this? You're like, what are you like? Uh, I'm like, oh my God, I, I, you know, I'm, we're a couple of years out of college at this point. And I'm like, yeah, I completely see the need for this. Like, it's a pain in the ass to find this stuff. Uh, still need it. You know, you need it in college, which was, I think, where most of my mindset was at the time. And that's, that's not really even, it's not even the biggest part of our market now. Um, but when you get out of college, you have like so many more needs and events through the whole rest of your life. You've got tailgates and Halloweens and Christmas parties. Like after college, the partying doesn't stop. You just have less time to get ready for it. And so the, the premise made a lot of sense to me. 
as I recall, he kind of like pitched the premise and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is making sense. This makes sense. I get it. I love the idea of like, you know, adding a reverency to this brand. And then he's like, well, yeah, you should totally come over and see the inventory. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you, get, you get inventory. What? <laughs> and uh, I like go to his apartment, you know, some number of days later and his just entire apartment is filled with like racks of clothes that he'd been like, he'd been literally driving up and down the front range in Colorado, like buying old ski onesies and like Marlboro jackets and like cool vintage windbreakers and Christmas sweaters and things like that. Just absolutely like, bleeding all the vintage stores dry wow so wow chris you have a very pretty clear idea of what it was chris were you already did you already have an llc filed did you have an official business or you were just buying this shit thinking uh, i don't know what i'm gonna do with this yet <laughs> no i don't think I, I think when jens and i first met we we didn't have any of that set up or figured out yet okay okay yeah. all right <laughs> it was just like I, it was like i have a weird cool affinity for <laughs> this very strange things and let's see how much i can fit before my girlfriend breaks up with me <laughs> were you working full-time jens somewhere yeah i was working full-time uh at a company called egg strategy it's basically like brand strategy and innovation consulting and it was it's mostly for like very large companies like the starbucks diageo Pernod ricards okay. uh, nestle's coca-cola's of the world and that was really great. It teaches you how to think and be critical and make hypotheses and defend them and make recommendations. And that was really, really incredible and really formative. But I always had this like little thing in the back of my mind, which is like at the end of, the, of these like big consulting projects, you like hand a report over and you're like, well, I hope that's helpful and you guys do something with it. Right. And exactly. you never really get to see where the rubber meets the road. Um, or actually execute on any of it. So that was always a little bit of like a lingering want that fortunately uh, Shinesty has helped me like kind of scratch that itch. Did you, did you have an entrepreneurial bug because of one, one of your parents was a business owner or an entrepreneur or where'd that come from? Uh, yeah, that's really funny. So my, uh, my dad's side of the family, like we're basically like pioneers in Wyoming and, uh, you know, they homesteaded and then like wow. progressively bought ranches all around and more ranches all around. Okay. And so, and then started a lumber yard and, uh, this is all up in Wyoming. Okay. And so at least on my dad's side of the family, for sure, we've always had this kind of like entrepreneurial streak. So mm -hmm. my dad was very entrepreneurial. He like bought and ran an oil field and the, my uncle ran the ranch side of it. And so, yeah, I, I always had this kind of like desire to follow in those footsteps. How about you, Chris? Where'd the entrepreneurial bug come from for you? Yeah, so I had a, I guess it, it happened kind of all at once when I was 18. So my, had some stuff happen to my family and basically during my freshman year, I needed to become financially independent. And so I started taking sales jobs. And so commission only sales jobs. So think Cutco, knives ah, uh think ah. travel travel packages i would sell to other college kids mm -hmm. and then one of the things i did is i worked for a custom screen printing company and i sold custom apparel to ah that's the sororities. okay that was that's the beginning of the apparel tie-in right there a little bit and were you always a crazy dresser always a crazy dresser <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so you go over, he's got all this stuff in his, in his, his apartment. He's got his clothes and he's telling, he's talking to you about this idea. 
from there, talk to me uh, about how, did you guys bootstrap it? Did you just start selling a little bit online? Did you raise cash right away? How'd you get it rolling? Yeah, the original concept was let's take this vintage product and let's use this as kind of our minimum viable product. Okay. Probably was not said that eloquently. Definitely was not said that eloquently. But M MVP, what's, the, what's that? MVP, yeah, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> essentially, that is what we did where we said, okay, let's take this product. We'll list it online. We'll take photographs of it. We will make it look like you can buy multiple of this vintage ski suit that we have. And we'll see how many people we can drive to actually click. Okay. All right. All right. Can you and guys Jen's, hear me or am I cutting? Yeah, yeah. No, no, you did. Yeah, that was perfect. And did, Jens, did you build the website yourself? And WordPress, how'd you guys put it together? <laughs> we, I mean, we like, it was pretty rough. I think Chris actually designed the first <laughs> one. We like split copywriting. It was bad. Duties. Uh, yeah, we, you can go, there's a, there's a tool online. Actually, it's great. Everyone should know about Wayback Machine. If you Wayback Machine, shinesty.com, you can see the very first website. Actually, oh, you can see that's the cool. page and then you can see once it launched. Yeah, it was uh, bad. It, it's come a long way. Uh, yeah. So, so then let me guess, let me guess, you started getting hits and you're like, oh shit, people are actually ordering this thing. <laughs> well, yeah. it was like pretty hilarious because we, like to start before we even had the site, we, we'd put up a splash page that just kind of had like some inspiration imagery. Like this is the type of stuff you're going to find there. This okay. is like how, what we're going to do. Uh, and so we, we'd already like captured some emails before we actually launched the website. Okay. And I remember it was pretty hilarious because Chris and I, like, he's talking about like, we, you know, describe the images, we'd post these listings and we had like, I, I want to say it was like 70 or 80 products probably, but okay. we'd gone through the trouble of like photographing every single one, uh, you know, all angles, more interesting shots. We wrote one-off descriptions for them. We described their quality and the size and the brand. And we did this like 80 some odd times. And we sent our first email, like, cool, you've been on the wait list it's open. Here you go. Go at it. And like every single product sold out. Wow. I, I was like kind of blown away because I'm like, well, that's incredible. That's a great, like, uh, you know, first email out of the gate. I'm glad we sold out, but also that took a really long time to write, to launch 80 individual products. Mm -hmm. did, did you have a social media following following as well? Did you have like a Facebook following Instagram, any of that going on at that time? Yeah, Chris. Yeah, we did. Uh, piecing that together yeah we okay. just were trying to be funny basically right and and which is kind of actually what the brand has really turned into if you take a step back and think about it a little broader we were just trying to make people laugh because we're selling ridiculous shit and so <laughs> why not sell it to them in an absolutely ridiculous way and so we were you know posting funny pictures posting early memes posting ridiculous jokes and we had built up a pretty small but like hacky following at that time on Instagram. Okay, very good. I was wondering how your social following played into everything. Okay, so now you're kind of off and running. So, so it was bootstrapped. You guys bootstrapped it at first and you sold, that's how you got your initial cash was selling that first line of product. Right. Yeah, wow, okay. All right, very good. And have you raised cash at this point? Have you taken that, are you guys still own 100% or where are you at with that? No, we have raised capital and we've done it actually a lot of different times kind of as we've needed. Um, so like in pretty small chunks, but like we've done it five times. Have and you? So okay. it, it's mostly from individuals. So mostly small kind of like angel investors, people who are writing between 25,000 and a hundred thousand dollar checks. 
Uh-huh. Um, but we've, we've raised money um, pretty substantially at this point total when you roll it all together. It's about eight and a half million dollars. Uh-huh. And okay. All right. Um, Good job. Great job. Congratulations. It's not, yeah, you're saying, uh, you're saying that pretty, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's just take a, let's just take a pause right there. Raising yeah, eight and a half million dollars is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> and, and it's been, that was done over kind of like the last six years and piece, but I think probably one, once a year at least. And it was kind of as we needed cash really for inventory growth. Um, mm-hmm. And so we weren't profitable up until the last year. However, we were like close and, but as you grow a retail brand, yep. you know, not having access to debt really kind of, re- we had to rely on equity financing because we had to grow that balance sheet uh, to be able to afford inventory essentially. Okay. So 2019, you were break even roughly somewhere in there. In the last calendar 12. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Congratulations. All right. Very yeah. good. And then, and then, and then COVID hit for 2020. You were probably thinking to yourself, 2020 is going to be your best year or, or is it, or is it going to be, I don't so know. Talk to me. 2020. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We, um, yeah. So I mean, COVID has been really interesting. There was definitely a two week period where things fell off as I'm sure every business in the entire world felt with kind of that distinct shift and know the hell, what the hell is happening right now. Right. No one knew. Um, <laughs> and pr- obviously not the most important thing. Your party clothes aren't the most important thing in the midst of a global pandemic. However, I will say that business has bounced back and returned to our forecasts that we set at the beginning of the year. Great. And I think a bit, that's a big piece of that is just e-commerce is really, you know, doing well right now in the economy as people kind of shift those habits to online purchasing. So we've you, been beneficiary of that. Are you only selling uh, direct to consumer through your own website? Who else are you selling through? And are you looking at doing any wholesale to big box retailers? What's your plan? Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, about 98% of our revenue is direct to consumer through our website. Through we your own website. Very, okay. Correct. Yeah, we do have a very small amount on Amazon. We sell okay. some masks on Amazon and we sell a couple of SKUs of boxers on Amazon. Okay. But... I mean, it's very, very minimal in terms of the overall business. We have considered thinking about wholesale, but as, and we were thinking about that a little bit heavier come at the beginning of this year, but then come March, we really took a, put that right. on the back burner for now as, uh, as the very minimal amount of wholesale that we do have in our sports licensing category, we ah. sell to some small independent stores. Okay. They had trouble paying. And so it's kind of like, you know, I don't think that we want to go down this route with everything closed and, you know, um, payment risk and bankruptcy risk from bigger retailers. So we kind of took, put that on the back burner for now. Okay. Okay. All right. So the business is direct to consumer through your own website, which is great margins, by the way, you're not having to give Amazon 15% or whatever the hell they're charging these days. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> or charging more, yeah. probably charging more. Right. Uh-huh. Chris, are you, st- are you still the lead buyer, Chris? <laughs> no, I'm not the lead buyer anymore. I've uh, relinquished those duties. <laughs> that was probably hard for you, right? Because that was kind of, wasn't, I mean, that was your favorite thing early on, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely still weigh in and I still sit on, in on design meetings and I still sit in on, you know, fall line planning meetings, things like that. But uh, I'm not making the decision. I'm not the ultimate decision maker when it comes to product anymore. Okay, so you guys are designing at this point. At this at this point, you're creating stuff. You're you're sending your designs out. Somebody's manufacturing for you a certain amount of goods, and then you're and then you're bringing them uh, from overseas. Or what's the what's the model? 
Okay. Yeah, we design yeah. we design and produce about eighty five percent of the product that we sell on our website, okay. and the other fifteen percent is made up from other cool brands that we kind of curate and bring together and just sell their brands on our website. Okay, so for the listeners for the Rider Rider Flex podcast, so just let that sink in. Producing eighty five percent of their own goods, which means the margins are better than buying it from somebody else, and they're selling direct to to the consumer through their own website, which is the best margin you can possibly have. Your margins on your income statement probably look pretty good, I'm guessing. <laughs> yes, we're, we're satisfied with the margins. see why people sure. start direct consumer businesses. All right, all right. How did you guys decide who was going to be CEO and who was going to be CMO and all these things? How were they, all these decisions made? How did we decide that, Jens? I don't really I basically remember, remember it like this. I mean, you, it was your original idea, and you said, I'm going to be the CEO, and you're going to be the CMO. I was like, all right. <laughs> okay. I, I, mean, I guess that's how I, it like, wasn't like a big it wasn't a big discussion. It was like I'm like, I don't know, that makes sense. Like he's he had the original vision for this and I yeah. love marketing. I want to see where the you know rubber meets the road, so to speak, versus what I've been doing in consulting. So what's the what's the biggest disagreement? What's the biggest blow up you've had where you're like, Okay, I'm mad at you today for a couple of days? What, what, can you give me give me a good one? Give me, I mean, give me something. We disagree like every single day, oh, probably. Nice. But we <laughs> I don't know. We've we've never really had like a blowout though. I don't think uh, we've ever. We don't we don't like stop talking, but we do have like disagreements where we, we have to argue like, where we have lot. to leave and be like, all right, I guess we just have to agree to disagree on that. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, I think we both come from a place of like respecting the other's intelligence and intuition, and so we can argue very vehemently uh, over business decisions, and in the end take a second, think about it, come up with a decision and go. I mean, it's not definitely never had like a emotional breakdown, like fuck you, Jens. You, <laughs> I don't know what like you would do to make me say that. To like defend our, our hypotheses or defend our assumptions. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really, that's really healthy. I think that, you know, it's they're not personal attacks and we don't take these things personally. It's just like, this is what I think. This is what you think. We're both working off of imperfect information in a lot of these cases. And so right. Right. It ends up being yeah. you know, healthy discourse. We both. I think it sets kind of strong-willed. So sometimes, it's. Yeah, I think it sets a good. I think it sets a good example for the rest of the team too. Right. That's like no one is this Steve Jobs genius in our company, mm-hmm. and right. Right. so you should challenge if you if you disagree with someone's logic or you disagree with a, a decision, and that you might not win at the end of the day but you should challenge that speak up and we can have a discussion around it. It usually results in better, a better outcome. Let's chat about that, that team, that, that office environment or team environment uh, a little bit. Cause when I'm watching your, your videos and I'm studying you, I'm thinking, Holy cow. I don't know. Being, being the HR leader, the human resource leader for that company might be a challenge based on uh, <laughs> language and activity and different things. That, that was my first reaction. <laughs> yeah. Well, this all just comes down too, to who you bring into the business. Cause it is like the business wouldn't be authentic. If you, if anyone's seen the brand, like it is meant to be polarizing. It is in your face. It makes like mm-hmm. not safe for work, you know, jokes at times it's, it's meant to be polarizing and you can't have that kind of brand if you don't have people who can create that brand internally. Yeah. And people who yeah. like that humor tend to like that type of brand tend to love it. And that's why I think we have the product market and brand fit that we, we do. Uh, but it just wouldn't be possible if your internal culture 
was like, oh, we have to be so safe inside and then try to create this irreverent, like boundary pushing brand outside. It wouldn't work like that. And so the people that we tend to hire and that we tend to bring into the business are people who love the outside brand and want to contribute to it from the inside. Yeah. I mean, we're very, yeah, go ahead, Chris. uh, I was going to say, we're very upfront with that during the interview process. Right. So, you know, asking jokes about farting during an interview process, just to make sure someone's not, super uncomfortable with that because we are going to talk about sex. There are going to be jokes yep. about sex. We're going to talk yep. about balls. Yep. We're going to make, uh, you know, that's, that's the brand. And so making sure that you're comfortable with that before you join and being very, very upfront and explicit with what it's going to be like, what it is like on the inside of China Sea as you're going through the application process. Can you, can you have them sign like some sort of additional release form like i will not get upset when there are dick jokes in the office or some sort of form (laughs) Uh, i do think our like employee handbook says like hey part of the creative process here means you're going to be exposed to things that would be like that would not fly right but like that's part of the process here and you have to be like you have to understand that this brand is different like the same way if you worked at a condom company you'd probably have to be okay with like yep a way different thing than if you worked for like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Much <laughs> no, tamer. And there are things Nestle pure life water. There are things <laughs> that we don't talk about. So we have like a policy where we, we don't make jokes about race, rape or religion. Okay. They're good. Kind of off topic. Yeah. Those are the off things. One. Okay. Okay. Um, and politics. so that, you know, humor and politics, if we we're going to make a joke about politics, we make it about both sides. Gotcha. All right. So. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So there are some boundaries. Yeah, yeah, there are. They're ones that 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 are obvious. Though. They're obvious. Yeah, we wish, we would hope they would be obvious. But uh, when when I was watching the videos, I was like, man, I want to I want to party with these guys. Like, can we do a podcast where we <laughs> where we like have happy hour afterwards? <laughs> Pandemic's over. Yes, yes. How did uh, how did the MTV thing come about? Talk to me a little bit about that. Oh, because the show is airing right now, right? No, it aired actually in 2017. Oh, it did? Oh, it's three years old? Okay, my bad. I yeah. thought that was – okay, all right, all right. So we'll talk yeah, to me about it's that. it's old. I mean, it, it came about in, like, 2015, I'm pretty sure. Like, it was uh, Christmas 2015, this, like, producer reaches out to us, and he's like, just got my first package. This is incredible. Would you guys mind if I come out and, uh, and like, shoot a, what they call a sizzle reel, uh, which is basically how they would sell it to a network. Did you approach like, him? You you approached you you pinged him or how? no 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 they, it, this oh, was like he was a customer and he like reached out to us oh, and he's like this is okay. what I do can I come out and shoot like this the sizzle reel I think there could be a show with you guys and this is like the middle of our busiest season uh, like fourth quarter we sell a lot of Christmas stuff and so we were just like okay. no absolutely not you can't come out right now um, but you know reach out reach out at the beginning of next year if you're if you do want to do something okay and. He reached out again, like clockwork, like, I don't know, January 2nd. He's like, hey, I'm back. Can I come out now? And we're like, wow, okay, you must be serious about this. And uh, so he comes out and he films this, like, essentially sizzle reel, which is like a highlight reel of, like, what the premise of the the show would be. And, like, our consensus with everyone who's involved in it was, like, that was terrible. That was, like... (laughs) such an awkward situation <laughs> so not like us um 
and it just felt never been start. Yeah. Yeah. If you've never been interviewed for reality television, the first time you do it, it is quite awkward looking at a huge screen of yourself staring into a massive camera lens. <laughs> Very awkward. If you're not an actor. You're right. <laughs> and uh but they they sent the thing back to us at the end and we're like, whoa, this thing actually looks pretty damn good. Like I can't believe they pieced this together. They use a lot of like our footage and our like kind of more natural okay. stuff as well. And we're like, wow, actually like I could see division now. Uh this doesn't look as cringeworthy and terrible as I thought based on like when they left after shooting it. Was it one season? Yeah. One season. Yeah, one it, season? Was, uh, it was, it was kind of hilarious because between it getting, it got greenlit really quickly. Like they didn't do a pilot. They went straight to series. Okay. MTV, the like major network bought it. Um, but between the show being like greenlit and actually airing, Every single person basically that touched the project left or was fired from MTV or Viacom. Oh, oh, oh bummer, bummer. I, it was legitimately up to like the chief creative officer of Viacom, who was like, it was his child, it was like his baby it, within like Viacom. I see. Uh, it was pretty hilarious. Chris like basically pestered them every single week for like six months, like, when's it airing? When's it gonna air? When's it gonna air? When's it gonna air? Until they like finally. Because we thought it was just getting shelved, basically. Chris was pestering him, and then I'll let you pick it up from here, Chris. Yeah, you're Chris. Chris, your your early days of as a commissioned salesperson to take care of yourself, those have all paid off for you. Not only in that respect, but probably with the raising the cash and everything else. Like, I, you don't strike me as a guy that takes one no and then stops. <laughs> no, I've heard a lot of no's for sure. When you're doing something <laughs> kind of weird like we're doing, you it doesn't make sense to a lot of people, so you get a lot of no's. Right. But right. yeah, we, I mean, the show basically ended up airing on MTV too with, without a lot of fanfare, just kind of them putting it out there. And so it was kind of disappointing for us because when we originally signed up to do the show, it was supposed to be a primetime MTV show that they were going to put a lot of marketing resources behind. And then, yeah, like Jens mentioned, everyone kind of, the executive team got shifted out there at Viacom and, uh. I guess the way it works is no one wants to inherit another person's projects. And so they want to have kind of their own. Because if impact. it succeeds, so, it wasn't theirs. And if it doesn't succeed, then they're responsible for it. It's like a loser situation for them. So. It's kind of a bummer because we did spend a ton of time. Time. Uh, filming filming did it, that. Did you make any money on it? No. Very little. I mean, they paid us a little bit per episode, but really the okay. value was in the marketing. There's I, no I, way that like the the like small paltry amount that we made off it offset yeah. the like distraction. But I, I do think, I mean, the idea of a reality show though for your brand behind the scenes, I, I agree with it. I I I, I would want I want to know. I watched your I, I look at your brand online, I'm like, I want to know what's going on back there. What's what's going on behind the curtain? I wanna I wanna yeah, I think it's a great idea. Somebody else should probably do a show for you. Have you talked to anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good we've thought i've you know i've like thought about it a little bit but uh at this point we just we, okay. we definitely wouldn't do another show for mtv maybe for like youtube or something that was a little shorter form okay. um but yeah mtv is just the way that it was done it wouldn't work for us anymore understood and like jen's like you were saying i mean running a business as co-founders is hard by itself and then trying to find the time to do like a reality show. Yeah. It's that, that would be tough. I mean, it's the same for me at Rider Flex, right? I, I have to be very careful not to let our podcast take me away from what actually pays the bills. Actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
right yeah. uh, i mean and, and for for reference they had like 35 crew who lived in boulder for six weeks we worked on the show four days a week filming and then another day kind of me and jensen at least working with the producers to kind of help concept the episodes mm, and we had yeah. to do our normal work Woo! so yeah yeah it was like legitimately six weeks seven days a week on. yeah I mean, yeah was, and like you're working and then you're like tired from working and then you gotta like perform like you literally have to go and like be hyper you on tv and you're like wow this is hard. Yeah. This, yeah i think actually our best <laughs> idea yeah our, our best idea steve is to w- was actually to hire if we did it again to hire actors to play us oh okay and, there you go there you, you go know, yeah <laughs> so we could actually do our work yes <laughs> so the the business now i know you don't want to get into a lot of a lot of numbers but how about number of employees can you share that like how how big is the company is that yeah uh yeah totally i think we have 30 or so kind of office employees and then we run our own fulfillment center and you distribution own- center so we have okay 20 employees there roughly you know you guys not only had to do a startup which is super hard to get it going. Then you had to learn how to raise cash, which you had no experience doing. And then you had to learn how to be CEOs and, and CMOs and manage people and large teams all at the same time. That's yep. not an easy thing to do. <laughs> what, what's been the hardest? What is it? Is it, was the, you know, production, uh, sourcing for clothes, personnel, raising cash. What's been the toughest for you guys? That's a great question. I feel like it changes every year. And so there's a different massive challenge you have to deal with each year. Maybe the first year it was okay, how do we have enough cash to finance our inventory? And then as we grew the team, you have personnel issues. And then as you grow production past your initial supply, you have production issues. And so I think it changes every year. I feel a lot better about the business now. We kind of reached a point of profitability and being able to stand on our own two legs. That makes things a lot less stressful. Oh, no doubt. I mean, once you can actually pay yourself and you're probably paying yourselves a decent salary now, finally, probably, I'm guessing something livable, livable, better than we did at the beginning. At a long way, we've come a long way uh, from where we, where we started. And <laughs> it yeah, really I think we is. Paid ourselves, yeah. Go ahead. I think, I think we paid ourselves we, nothing for the first year and a half. And then we paid, we took like $40,000 salaries and then 50,000, so we we pay ourselves more than that now, but like for the first three four years, we were we were being pretty. Uh, I pretty, I've lived it. I've lived it, bro. I've lived it. When we, yeah. my first, you got to make sacrifices. You, that was like a big one, and it, you know you hope that it pays off at some point. Um, that's that's absolutely right. Yeah, the first year Scott and I started Rider Flex together, we paid ourselves nothing, and coincidentally our second year we paid ourselves about forty thousand dollars yeah I, I, I remember my wife saying hey i know you're having fun with this and all but are we ever going to make like is it ever going to be normal again <laughs> uh, yeah. but if you, you know if you sacrifice enough though eventually hey that's a major accomplishment by the way to get to where now you are profitable so you're not burning cash you still probably want to raise some for future scaling up the business, but at least you're not burning cash cash and you're paying yourselves a decent salary. I mean, just to get to that point is yeah. so such a relief after starting something from scratch. So I've lived it. So I know what you've been through to get it to that point. So congratulations on getting it there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It, it definitely lifts a weight off of, 
of stress off of everyone's shoulders. So. What was the scariest moment? Do you have anything specifically you want to share on, uh, you know, uh, you know, you woke up in the middle of the night, you're sweating, you're walking around in your living room at 3 a.m., scared as shit. Like anything specific you want to share? Uh, we've had moments for sure. I mean, where we've been like, how much money do we have in the bank again? Can we afford to hit yeah. payroll? We've always had this like challenge where like, especially when we were more like exclusively holiday uh, and event based where like Christmas was and the, and the fourth quarter was like, we were doing like what Chris probably 65 to 70% of our business in like a six to eight week window, six yeah. weeks, really yeah. six weeks. Uh, and so you have to build up this insane like inventory store before that. And so like our, you know, kind of mid to late third quarter time is like, you're so low. And then like your bank account is so yeah. low. It's absolutely yeah. drained because you paid out everything for your inventory. And then you're Were like, you well, working I, off hope, line of, I hope you... the holiday season pays off because right. like everything <laughs> is riding on six weeks. Like we waited we wait all year. We wait, you know, whatever, 40 something weeks for these six weeks. So it has was that cash that you, did you save it up or did you have a line of credit for production at the bank? How'd you do that? And we, it's a combination. We've like begged, barred and stealed every, you know, dollar of debt we can sometimes get to fund inventory. And luckily that's not the case anymore as we've expanded. The business is way more stable through the rest of the year. And, you know, we're profitable every month, not just on the rolling year basis. So we don't have to wait for yeah, Christmas good. only. But at the time in 2015 and 2016, even in 2017, if that Christmas nut didn't come, yeah, we were fucked. Like we would have yep. been out of business for sure. Do, do you you guys, imagine, not a lot of bankers were like jumping <laughs> in at the opportunity. They're like, oh, cool. I know how to get rid of 50,000 polyester Christmas suits. Like, right. No, the, I believe I remember like talking to this one banker and he's like, yeah, I mean, usually like if it's like a brewery, it's like bulk honey and you know how to get rid of bulk honey, but like tons of poly, like literal tons of manufactured polyester. Like I don't know what to do with that. Like, that's right. We can't give you debt. That's right. The, the, all they care about is when they, uh, they look at your inventory and they go, okay, if these guys, if these guys don't make it and I have to liquidate their ass tomorrow, how much can I get back? <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I lived that uh, for sure. So let me ask you this. What would you say to the aspiring entrepreneur that's listening? Him and his buddy are listening to this episode. They're having beers at Buffalo Wild Wings because they have an idea and they want to start a business. What, what, what two or three things would you share, Chris? Let, let's start with you and then we'll hit Jen's with the same question. Okay. Yeah, I'd say first off, it's it's exceedingly difficult, but also exceedingly rewarding and fun. So make sure that you pick a product or a industry or a brand, whatever it is that you're building, that you are fascinated by, that you love, that you're interested in. Because if you don't, you're not going to make it through. It's yeah. just, it's a grind and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, although you sometimes read a Forbes article about a big business, a hundred million dollar business. And you think, Oh, these guys just cruise to it. Uh, yeah. you know, I think uh, one of my favorite podcasts actually is how I built this. And yeah. I actually like, I really like the, the stories that are not the easy ones, right. which is basically all of them except for Chipotle. It sounds like, uh, and, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I like, I love hearing about just like the absolute grind. We're going at it. We're almost out of business because every 
person who started a company that's reached scale has, has gone through those moments. So basically going back to that, make sure you are doing something you authentically love because if you don't, you're not going to make it through. I, Chris, I meant to ask you that year that you, how did you survive that first two years? Did you have some money saved up? Did you like call mom and dad? Let me borrow some cash. What'd you do? <laughs> I had a roommate. So I, when I first moved to Boulder, I had bought like a apartment. So I had a roommate who helps, who basically covered, you know, my mortgage. Okay. Um, and then I had a girlfriend who was a nurse. So she bought my food and <laughs> I just kind of subsided on nothing, I guess. I, I don't really remember. No, I didn't. I definitely didn't call my parents because they okay. wouldn't have been able to help me. Um, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of begged, borrowed and sealed until you make it. Uh, Jens, I can almost see the look on your face. Chris is like pitching you this business idea and, and he's telling you like, Hey man, uh, I'm not, this, this doesn't make any money and I'm not sure when we can ever pay ourselves, but this is going to be a lot of fun. Come help me. <laughs> I was in, I, I like similarly, I, it's funny you asked that question. Cause I was like, how the hell did we do that? And I was like, Oh <laughs> shit. I, I literally started doing like consulting, independent consulting, basically what I was doing, but just working for myself uh, while we were shorting Shinesty. And I was like, I guess I was just working two jobs. That's how we did it. Yeah. And technically, I guess, actually, this is an interesting hack. I was still in school. And so I did have uh, loans that uh, I think I got $9,000 a semester as like okay. living expenses or 8,000 a semester as living expenses. And so I could use those loans to finance my life while I was in business and law school, technically. Gotcha. And gotcha. live off of that. Were you yeah. going to be a lawyer? Was that the plan? No. <laughs> no, no. I don't know why I went to, I, honestly, I, I just, I've, I've always liked school. I like learning. And okay. so when I graduated from undergrad, I just went straight into the JD MBA program. At okay. CU. Okay. Not uh, really Jens, knowing, not having a grand plan. Gotcha. Jens, uh, two or three pieces of advice here for the aspiring entrepreneur. Yeah, I think at least two come to mind here. The first is, especially for the, for very, like very, very early on, and this is only something like I've kind of really recently reflected on, okay. um, is really scrutinizing your first employees. And I say that because I think we got incredibly lucky. I mean, you know, you should always be like yeah. really diligent with hiring because it's a lot of time and effort. And if it doesn't work out, like starting the process over, like you've lost out a lot and it's, it's time consuming. But those first employees like are, when I think about most of our first employees, cause a lot of them, a lot of them are still with the company and they have risen from being like the labor that, you know, we could afford at the time, which meant that they were willing to take like really low salaries and work way harder uh, for a chunk of the business. I mean, they have disparate, like almost every single one of those persons is in a manager or director seat at this point, running a large team. Very and cool. they were mostly people who did, who, who did not have that experience coming into it. They were just, willing to uh get these really big shoes and try to fill them um and without i'm there are like a handful of these these uh guys specifically that i'm thinking of we wouldn't be where we were without them and they were early on they were they had the like gumption to go out yeah. and do what we wanted they were willing to work hard for less and they believed in the vision of the company they believed so, it yep they believed in the vision and yeah. wanted to help you build a brand which is yeah. a special thing to do okay I think with a, a couple exceptions where you really need deep, deep expertise, I think you'd be surprised with what you can get um, 
when you get the right people who are excited about your vision and your business. You don't always have to hire deep, 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 expensive experience, unless maybe there's like, you got legal things you have to somehow work through, or it's like deeply technical or deeply scientific, something like that. But, when I'm, when I'm, when um, I'm trying to pitch, when I'm trying to pitch a candidate to a client, I want you to come with me next time and have that conversation with the client. When I'm trying to tell them you need to hire Johnny, I don't give a shit if he's missing two or three things from the resume. That's, but stop yeah, thinking that way. <laughs> You can make up a lot. I mean, and like most of the people who are doing like highly specialized things for us now, like they came in without that exact experience. They were just willing to work harder and learn more than most people. Um, it really matters. Yeah. And I think the other piece of advice, the second one that I would give is really learning how to focus. Uh, mm. It's a lot harder to say no to something than it is to say yes. And there's a really delicate balance too. Like if you do too little, you know, you might not, you might undercut your growth potential. But if you do too much, I think that's where the bigger risk comes because then you just risk doing everything shittily. Yep. Um, and it's a fine line, but you got to figure out, hey, what is the like number of things that we can do and do really, really, really well so that we don't dilute and water ourselves down. And it's just mm -hmm. really easy, especially when you're starting a business, if you're like entrepreneurial and you're excited to take on more than you can reasonably do well, whether that's product lines or channel tests or whatever the hell it is. Um, and every, every, every investor and advisory board member you add, you add to the group, they want to, they want to throw you little things like, Hey, you should try this. You should do this. You oh, should it's do like, this. yeah. I mean, you go to a conference <laughs> or you get an investor and it can be like drinking from the, the fire hose and you got to kind of like set a vision and like say, cool, if, if, and when we like get to here, then we'll take the next thing on. We'll invest mm -hmm. in this one in a, a way that's good for ongoing so we can move on to the next thing and the next thing. But What's the, what's the plan? Are you guys building a lifestyle business that you can just, you know, you continue growing it and having fun and you make a good salary and you uh, come in three days a week while a couple of other GMs run the place or are you, or are you trying to get to a certain place and sell it? Have you decided? And you don't necessarily have to have an answer. I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, I think we're having a lot of fun right now building a brand and our goal is always to build a brand that forces the world to take itself less seriously, more important now than ever. Mm -hmm. And so we're having a lot of fun. We're not going to focus on, you know, what is the specific outcome? I think if you build a really good business, you'll have opportunities, whether that's to sell the business or to make it cash flowing and taking money out of it or um, to sell to another brand or to scale up or to join other brands, whatever those opportunities are, they'll come if you build a strong business, a strong brand, a strong customer base, strong foundation. So we don't think about it. We try not to think about it on the day to day and really focus on executing uh, our one year plan and our three year kind of vision, which is, you know, what we're working towards financially and as a brand. But, uh, you know, I think we're open to all, all of the things that you listed as outcomes. We don't Jim, know what yep. that's going to be yet. Anything you want to add to that, gents? We're definitely not working three days a week and have GMs that do all of it. <laughs> I guess you're right. That's definitely an out outcome we are not working towards. We we enjoy the grind uh, and the work. Gotcha. So, uh, Chris, I, our answer is very very similar at RiderFlex. People always every time somebody meets with me and Scott, you know, they try to corner us. So I'm like, okay, well, yeah. At what point are you going to sell? Like, what what's the? Show me your five year financial model and when you're going to like. I'm like, listen, listen, bro. I I did ten yeah. interviews today. <laughs> I did 10 interviews today. We made five more placements. 
I checked the bank account. We have money there and sales are up and I'm tired and I'm having a drink now. So don't bother me with the rest of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Last, uh, last question. I know we're almost out of time. Last question for each of you. Jens, let's start with you. Um, if you had to put your core purpose in life right now, not to get too deep because you guys are a fun brand, so I don't want to get too, too serious, but if you had to put your core purpose into a sentence or two, what would that sound like? Well, I think, I think it comes down right now for me to building a sustainable brand. Uh, and a, a brand and business that can last because what we don't want, what I don't want is for Shinesty and for our, you know, ball hammock product lines and all these things that we're creating to just be flashes in the pan. Uh, we have, there are tons of families, there are tons of investors, uh, there are tons of employees that are all riding on this being a great long-term company. And I also think we've just worked way too hard for this to be a flash in the pan. Mm -hmm. So everything I'm doing is figuring out how we, at least on the, with an emphasis on the marketing side, how we operate this in a smart, sustainable way so that we can become a household name. And so that this is a brand that has real sticking power and staying power mm -hmm. that can provide for my family, for Chris's family, for all of our employees and all of our, our shareholders families for a very, very, very long time. I love that answer, Jens. And I'll just share with you a very dear friend of mine was the founder and owner of fresh produce sportswear in Boulder. It was an apparel company for, for 30 plus years in Boulder. Um, Tom and Mary Ellen Vernon. I'm not sure if you know them. Um, I know fresh Mary, produce, I know. Yeah. I worked for them. So I was a COO there and an interim CEO. And I, I know the family well and know the business, but my point is they, they recently decided to, after 30 plus years to, to fold up the business and they're going to retire. And I was talking to Mary Ellen and, uh, you know, she was feeling bad. She was, she kind of, she was, she had this, you know, oh, we, you know, we didn't, it's not going to make it past this and it's not going to go any further. And I said, Mary Ellen, I said, you spent 30 years affecting lives and families and pay, people paying off their homes, people putting their kids through school, like you affected lives. And that means probably more than the, than the actual brand name that you built. So the fact that you touched on that right there, the fact that you're, you know already that it means a lot to the family and you're feeding these people. You're, you're, you're creating payroll that's, that's building lives and families. And that I'm telling you right now at the end of the day, when you guys get to be 60 years old, that's going to mean more to you than anything else. Guarantee it. It's a big deal. Um, Chris, how about you, my friend, if you had to put your core purpose into a sentence or two, what would that sound like? Yeah, Jen stole a lot of my thunder there. That was a really, <laughs> really good answer. <laughs> I think for me, it's it's uh, to add on to that would be, again, the world's a serious place right now. Right. A lot of serious problems. And I think bringing some levity to that, whether it's just in a simple ad that you see or an email that you get, even just for five seconds, that makes you shake your head, laugh, and be like these the people who run this brand are fucking ridiculous. <laughs> if it just help. makes you giggle a little bit, it did I me. Think we've done, we've done good, <laughs> right? We've done good for the world. And so that's our brand mission is to force the world to take itself less seriously. And so I think 
being able to make more people smile or laugh is where my head is at. And it's especially important right now. It really is, bro. I, you know, I couldn't agree more. By the way, the ball hammock thing, did, did you guys come up with that name or was that, did you create that? We did create right? that. We, we own the trademark for ball hammock. Are you serious? Are you being serious uh-huh. right now? That's serious. <laughs> that is fucking Registered. Great. I love it. USPTO. We get the that R. is so good. Uh, you know, you're right, Chris. It is it's such a negative, mean world right now. It feels like it in so many ways, you know, in so many things. And, and you're, you're right. It was so refreshing preparing for this interview and studying your brand. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. And you're right. We're only on this planet for a very short time, really. And so it is good to crack open a beer and laugh and, yeah. you know, order some ball hammocks and all the rest of it. This <laughs> is a yeah. good thing to do. Uh, you're absolutely right. I, I enjoyed preparing for it, and it, it caused me to relax and, and uh, smile several times when I was studying. So if your goal is to make people smile and not take it so seriously, you're, you're doing all the right things. Uh, for, for the listeners, by the way, it's shinesty.com, shinesty.com. You can go there, check out the, I mean, the great website, some cool videos. I mean, how did you get these guys? Are these employees? These aren't employees in some of these shots, are they? They are not employees. They're also in many cases, not necessarily models. They are uh, <laughs> friends of the brand. Friends of the brand. Okay. Love it. Did you purposely, I can almost see you, Chris or Jens or both of you. Some guy walks in with like, he's got like cut abs and he's like the super good looking guy. And you're like, no, 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 you're not going to work. You're too, you're too pretty. Get out, get out. I need somebody more regular. We need the, we need the, the man's man. <laughs> I tell, that's gotta be, I'm serious. I, I shit you not. One of my favorite parts about the brand image is that you, that you, you can tell that you are careful not to put absolutely beautiful, like, fake people on the planet like this is just a regular guy i love that about that that's such a good move <laughs> for normal people by normal people yeah. is that is that the, is that your mission i love it okay well if you ever no, need like no. a, if you ever if you ever need a 53 year old with a little pot belly on him you know with that's bald and you need me to you know that's great timing we're shooting our christmas catalog right now <laughs> I'll tell him you've got all the time in the world <laughs> i'm sure my wife would love that uh Chris, Jens, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I could talk to you for several more hours. And by the way, if we ever do a part two, let's do it where we're having drinks and and kind of like, you know, towards the end of the day and just get a little more loose even than we did this time. The Rider Flex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit riderflex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.